Get all your turnkey PCB assembly services from MacFab with new, lower prices by an average of 44% on high-volume production. MacFab has reduced prices on PCBs for production orders. This means that you will see price reductions for orders over 100 units and the most significant savings for orders over 1,000 units. Generally, we observe a PCB price reduction of 20% for lower volume orders and as much as 80% for high volume orders. Do you need a quote for a high volume PCB assembly? Send your quote package to sales at macfab.com to get started today. Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I'm your guest, Josh Rozier. And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 178. So before we get started, we have an update to the MacFab Engineering Podcast Useless Machine Contest sponsored by Mauser Electronics. So we've been talking about this for a while. It's basically a contest where you, as our listeners, or anyone really, will design a useless machine, upload it to hackaday.io, and... Our guest judges will pick the best one, or the second best one, or the third best one, and then we'll also have the MacFab podcast favorite, which is one that Stephen and I pick, a project, and those all have a variety of prizes and dollar amounts associated to those prizes, so go check out our blog. It's at macfab.com slash blog. has more information about the contest and enter, and we actually had our first entry by uh, Gerben, uh, and it is... It's it's pretty funny. It's okay, so it's pretty great. It's technically not a complete entry. It's more of an idea that, funny enough, in the entry is like, if people like this idea, then I'll make it an actual entry. And by the way, Gerbert, yes, you should. Yes. And this is our first entry, and way to go for the very first one because Parker and I read it. We're like, oh, this is great. The competition is already stiff, and the and there's one so far, <laughs> which is great. So this first project is called the Badge killer shitty add-on so the the description let me scroll down here and read it uh what's more useless than a shitty add-on a shitty add-on that kills your badge similar to the usb killer but in the shitty add-on form factor which park and i we had an episode gosh probably 50 or 100 episodes ago where we talked about some cheapo chinese usb uh killers that just shot high voltage down your oh yeah uh, your i watched a youtube video about that today from electro boom yeah. Yeah, and and we've been talking about shitty add-ons uh, for for the uh, DefCon badges for a long time. So what about a shitty add-on that uh, turns your hashtag badge life into hashtag brick life? <laughs> <laughs> so German, you should totally make this thing. Yeah, yeah. You you already have the the Parker and Steven approval on this one. Cool. So we have uh, we have Josh Roser again as our guest on the podcast. He is now one of our more reoccurring guests, but also has some really cool stuff to talk about. Yeah, you guys must be scraping the bottom of the barrel to have me on again, huh? <laughs> hey, shh, don't tell everyone our secrets. <laughs> hey, as long as the check cashes, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh, that um, sliding dollar bill across the table. <laughs> You're right, one dollar. George Washington. Eight dollar bill. <laughs> what do you think of George Washington? <laughs> this strange George Washington that's yellow colored and he's wearing a top hat and has an eyepiece. Wait, Monopoly, what the hell? Monopoly, what? what? 
<laughs> so the last time we had you on the uh, podcast, you were winding an output transformer for a tube amp, yeah. which I think the day after we had that podcast, it actually arrived at my house and I installed it in one of my amps. And it is still actually, well, yeah, your house is not on fire. Yes. Well, my house is not on fire. Yet. It's still actually it, potentially still in the frame that these guys are watching on the, on the video here. So it's just been sitting here since then. I mean, I've been playing <laughs> on it, but it hasn't moved since then. So it's because I designed it not to fail within the thirty day warranty. So you're <laughs> right, right. It'll catch on fire. And and the the worst part is you work for um, insurance by day, so you you know the ins and outs. Of oh this. yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. You didn't get that from me. So yeah. <laughs> So, so you, um, you're you're kind of evolving in your transformer designs, right? Yeah, a little bit. So this one's probably a little bit more, um, I would say, useful to the general listening audience. I would say, but you, you're, you're juggling. Kids. I kind of went backwards. I started with output transformers, and and then now I went to power transformers, um, and you know, like anybody who's doing anything that costs money, you try and keep costs down. So I started looking for companies locally who could source me some parts, mainly the steel or the iron, right? The, um, the, the silicon steel that, that we use and, um, found a place in the Connecticut area here and, uh, been swapping emails with the guy, like, you know, over the past couple of weeks and ended up placing an order for him, drove down there about a week and a half ago and um met him. how long was his beard and was it gray no dude this guy was like your typical like imagine imagine the i don't know what you would think of as like pulled yourself up from your bootstraps built your business from the ground up kind of dude uh that now employs like 30 40 people in his own transformer shop and that's you'd probably have a pretty good description of this this guy um super nice guy his name his name's bruce um and uh he he and i were swapping emails back and forth about trying to uh, well so first off he's the only one that answered any of my emails right so most people man if you're a hobbyist or if you're a small volume you don't even you don't even get a call back uh, like there's a handful of vendors out there that will even call you back some of them are actually you know, pretty big, like I will say Hammond electronics, believe it or not, they e I've emailed them on multiple occasions about, Hey, what kind of powder coat do you use on your chassis? And they, within the same day, I got a response. So like there are some out there that'll do stuff like that, but for the most part, most people don't have the time of day for you. But this guy, you know, Bruce, he, he and I, that was kind of the first sign that he, he was a pretty cool guy is he started, he actually replied to my emails. Um, and then he agreed to actually sell me small volumes of supplies. So I went down there, grabbed some bobbins, uh, you know, about 40, 50 pounds of, of various kinds of laminations. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple other little knickknacks here and there, you know, things called like keeper laminations, which keep your, your stack together and, and other stuff. Um, but the cool part is, is, um, I'm carrying this big ass box of, of iron out the door and I was headed to his office and I was going to, I guess, give him my credit card number or whatever. And he turns around and he goes, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's pretty cool what you're doing. I, I like, I really appreciate seeing somebody like follow their passion and, and really try and start to do something, especially here, um, you know, with, 
you know, most people these days are, are trying to get out of college, go get the corporate job or whatever. Um, so why don't you just like forget about paying for it this time and, and like walk out the door with $200 worth of, you know, stuff or whatever, which, you know, is no, no drop in the bucket for me. I'm sure it's not for him either. Um, you know, he's a small business owner trying to make, you know, make, make, make payroll <laughs> and help, help feed the families of the, the people that work for him. But I thought that was pretty cool. Um, like he and I kind of sat there and talked about, Hey, uh, I, one thing that stuck out to me was he's like, Hey, I had a lot of help when I was getting started and there's not enough people doing stuff like that for the small guys. So, you know, this is, this one's on us essentially. So yeah, heck yeah, man, I've got a bunch of steel and I'm ready to start winding schedules been kind of crazy here with, with kids just got out of school. So I'm juggling all that stuff and you got to put them to work then. I, (laughs) yes, I'm juggling kids, but I like Parker's idea. I think my son could probably wind uh, some transformers. Yeah. There's no AC in the shed, but he'll, he'll be fine. Well, he's young. (laughs) What was the, what was the transformer shop name? Uh, so it is, um, it's a place in, in Durham, Connecticut called technology uh, or let me start over. Tech, Transformer Technology Incorporated, TTI. Um, and the guy's name is Bruce. So if you just like, I think it's like transformertechnologyinc.com. Um, and if you just Google it, you'll probably end up finding him. So they do all kinds of stuff. Like I said, he even quoted me for one unit, right, for of this particular, if I would wanted to get it wound at his shop so he'll i don't, I don't want to advertise for him like i don't want to say like hey, yeah go to him he'll do, he'll do one unit stuff he might not for your particular situation or whatever but um you know he's he's a he's a pretty reasonable guy and and i'll say he's got my business as far as anything i need from supplies to winding a transformers here um you know in the foreseeable future for sure so what makes a your power transformers different than your output transformer so um in the sense of so it's frequency i would say the main thing it boils down to is frequency response your mains voltage is 60 in the u.s is 60 hertz and it stays at 60 hertz so that's that's like almost becomes a fixed variable in a sense which on an output transformer, if you think about it, you're it's the entire audible range, right? Not to mention, not to mention like the, the note that you hear, but the harmonics of that note that are coming through that like are complicating the sound that you hear, but you can't really tell you're hearing. Right. So it's gotta be able to well, reproduce well, all and, those. And I should in- interject here real quick. Uh, I did test Roz's output transformer all the way to five megahertz and, and it, had resonance peaks in between zero and five megahertz, but no, no, it totally it totally shot five megahertz through. It, it's it is it is uh, flat to about a hundred and twenty kilohertz, and then it starts to wiggle around a little bit in the frequency response. But it stayed pretty. I mean, like I was passing up to five megahertz, like quite visibly on the scope, like not having to zoom in on that. What about on the other end of the frequency spectrum? Oh, on the low end, I think it started to roll off at like sub thirty hertz. Pretty I don't remember good. exactly where it was. It was low. Look at that, Josh looks smug. I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Got to got to get that really good sounding five megahertz. So, so, yeah. so for an output transformer, you want that? You want a really flat response? Uh, in, in flat and wide. Yeah, flat and wide, right? Because you you want it to be as 
in most cases, I, some people would argue with this, right? Some people, you know, want their output transformer to at least they think they want it Color. to distort or they think they want it to start like saturating, which in reality, I, I would argue they, they don't really That's know what they're the asking for. <laughs> but yeah, in most cases you want it transparent and not to color the tone, especially in, in modern types of amps that were, you know, Steve and I are, I would, I would say mostly messing with most of the time. Well, and, and, and also one of the tests that I did was I, um, the transformer I had in this amp previously, I think I paid, uh, $230 for it in 2007. Mm -hmm. So you know, whatever that is now, that's more. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, so it, <clears throat> this this transformer has a total of five wires. So I just unsoldered those five wires and soldered Josh's in, like, directly. But I had done recordings before and after, and I did I did a form of recording called reamping, where you record your dry guitar signal, and then, and then you play your guitar signal back through the amp, um, changing one variable. Uh, so, so... It's not me playing differently every time. I'm playing the exact same signal through each time. You're so just pumping the it. raw signal from your guitar back through. Yeah, the raw yeah. signal directly through. And uh, and when uh, Roz and I got together and we, we listened to both the pre and the after change of the transformer, and I can't tell a difference between a difference either, yeah. this, quote, high-end transformer that I bought from some secret sauce place And the back one that's some crazy guy And the one that he shed. did in his, his shed in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bet you that really fancy one was wound by an artisan some guy in a shed, in shed somewhere. <laughs> that's true, artisan. It's, I, I produce artisan transformers. Yeah. Mm. Boutique. Boutique, yes. I mean, in, in reality, half joking, it does give me kind of flexibility to, when you're building one-offs, you can do crazy things like, oh, okay, what color do you want your inbells powder-coated? Oh, metallic purple? Great. We can do that. No problem. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm starting a transformer business or anything. Uh, like, I haven't even really um, seriously considered that, I'd say, just because of the margins that would be required. But, you know... For my personal stuff or Steve's stuff or friends that want stuff wound or if I'm repairing an amp and, you know, it needs some Go new Go friend iron. him on Facebook. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Empire, wind your transformers for Empire you. Empire Ampworks, yeah. On Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're not super active. <laughs> we're but. plugging everyone today. <laughs> but, you know, okay, so what, what, what really the biggest thing is, 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 you know, Josh was getting into this uh, because he and I have been designing some stuff together for some fun. And um, one, of the, one of the roadblocks that two of the roadblocks I should say that we're kind of running into is um, the size of the transformer makes a big difference on the layout of your circuit because these things are huge. Uh, so you have to kind of be able to tweak some knobs there. But at the same time, there's a lot of modern techniques that require voltages and currents that are you just don't find on an off-the-shelf transformer. Yeah, so here's the interesting thing about, about the guitar amplifier transformer market i would say is okay if you think about it um it's just like any other market these producers it's either going to be highly custom and you have to order it special or you have to order in minimum quantities of dozens of units probably um unless you find a guy like bruce at tti <clears throat> or you know you're um 
you're building, you're, you're selling to a mass market and your, your product is going to fit that mass market. Well, most of these transformers have a specific application and it's for guitar amps. So they're winding them to either be put into very or whatever, right? Classic, very legacy or people want a specific, Oh, I want to build an amp that's got that vintage tone to it. So what are these manufacturers going to do? They're not going to wind transformers that don't sell. So they're going to wind the stuff that sells. So if you want to put, um, like DC filament, tap on, on a transformer and have a DC winding to heat your tubes with DC voltage instead of, um, you know, AC coming off the straight off the transformer, which induces hum and 60 cycle hum and, and noise to your circuit, which is a problem with high gain because it amplifies that hum right all the way through the circuits. You have a noisy just hum box. Um, well, it, there are a few amp, ampl- um, transformer manufacturers that do that, but you know, they're few and far between. And, and typically these transformers are trying to be, they suffer th- from the same problem, trying to be as mass market as possible while still cramming in a couple of these features. So they end up like 15 pounds and they're huge and they produce, you know, 500 volts point to point. So that like, uh, it's just, or a uh, um, center tap. So you can like try and get this massive do everything transformer. So we, what we were trying to do is get something that was, very specific to our application. So that's what really pushed us down this road. And my insanity. Well, yeah, and a lot of times you, a lot of times you'll you'll have a circuit and you you start to design whatever circuit and uh, you realize that you know, maybe 12 volts isn't going to cut it. Maybe 50 volts is just better for what I'm going to be doing or something in the in the range of 50 volts. Well, that's not that's just not normal. Like where are you going to get that? You're right. going to you're going to have to either step it up with a switch mode supply or you're going to have to have a nice tap on a transformer or, or you, you kind of have the opposite. What if, what if you need 15 volts, but you need five amps off of it? Right. You know, once again, are you going to put a switch mode in there or are you just going to get a tap on a transformer? And you have the option of buying like six or seven different transformers that all have the tap that you want because finding a transformer with a 60 volt tap or a 15. Not volt, hard. It's not hard, no. but you also don't want your project to have 10 transformers <laughs> Bolted on, on the it, top, right? right? Yeah. Right, yeah. It'll weigh 150 pounds. Not and to mention the cost in, like you incur in buying and paying for right. someone else's profit margin for every right. unit that you buy. Each one, right. Yeah, so just make your own. So just make your and own. And then you get everything then, you want. And then you get to spend four times as much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that always works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So cool. So you're you're going to be winding a power transformer sometime soon. Yeah, oh, I mean so we got the weekend coming up that. here. So I'm, circling back like, to that, yeah. what makes a power transformer different from the output transformer? Right. Yeah. So, so the output transformer has a flat response over the audible range. Uh, the power transformer does. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, the output, output transformer. Yeah. yeah so what does the does, power yeah. transformer? Because technically, then in my mind, you could just slap an output transformer as the power transformer. Well, so it's got completely different windings typically, right? So okay. you're, you're, you're trying to match the impedance with the output transformer, whereas on a power transformer, it's all about voltage ratios, right? So you're trying to step usually up from wall voltage to your main um, you know, high tension or B+, plus, right? Which is, for most guitar amps, somewhere in the 300 to 500 volt Rec, usually re, that's rectified range. So, um, what you're t- so to answer your question more directly, 
the main thing that power transformers you want them to do is be able to handle the power. So heat, current, right? All of the, the, the core losses that go into that transformer, you don't want it to get too hot and fail because you have some kind you know, as power, as heat goes up, you know, resistance changes, right? So that's going to affect the regulation of the transformer, which is the other thing that I was, I would say is you want a transformer to be able to do is that regulation, right? So if I have a, 6.3 volt heater tap that heats my tubes on my guitar amplifier. I have a 10% wiggle room, you know, plus or minus 10%. So you want it to be able to stay within that range. It's not that particular tap. Maybe it's not a great example because it's not super critical. Um, but what if we have like a, you know, a DC circuit that that's designed to do something very specific and, and like it has to stay within a tight tolerance well, you don't want your, um, you know, you don't want your your tap on your transformer to start to sag or go crazy directions. So you want to be able to, ha like, have that tight. I think the term is regulation. Typically, is is what I've heard it called, to where it can. You know, the the thing is that that's a really confusing. If you've ever spent any time like digging through transformer data sheets, they're not particularly clear no. most of the time. Uh, and and that was always a confusing one for me is you you get a tap. Mm -hmm. it usually there's there's almost always two numbers you you see with that <coughs> tap, voltage and current. yep. And that's usually what you get. Yep. If you're lucky, you get regulation, uh, which is presented in a uh, percentage. yep. And then you get um, sometimes you get some more stuff, but most of the time it's just voltage current. And that voltage is supposed to be the voltage that you'll see, the RMS voltage at that rated current. Right. Which means that if you have it unloaded, if you just basically plug it in the wall and look at read the taps, it's going to be higher than well, that yeah, voltage. In some cases, a lot higher, right? Well, it depends on the regulation, because the regulation percentage is the difference between the loaded and the non-loaded, right? Right, right. So going into that, right, playing off of that, you have to be cognizant of, like I said, heat, right? So the there's certain things, uh, the core losses from the actual steel that you're using will affect that because they they actually, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, get excited when you start passing current through it and that excitement starts to, you know, create heat, <laughs> right? Like similar to like a resistant, like a resistor would, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then you have... Um, you know, so you got to spec your wire also because you've got that DC resistance of windings. Um, so it's it's you're trying to hit a certain ratio between your primary windings and your secondary windings, and that ratio is what determines. Okay, you know, ten to one means if I pass ten volts through it, I should get a hundred, right? On the other end, on the secondary. Well, now you're winding a whole lot of copper wire which carries its own resistance which creates more heat so there's a balance there but then the other constraint would be you have a limited amount of space you can only fit so much wire within that window of that transformer so it's a balancing act you got to kind of pick and choose i would say less of a balancing act than than an output transformer would be uh, and much less subjective like you either hit your voltage or you don't like, and that's kind of up to the specs of, uh, you know, whoever's ordered the transformer or whoever spec the transformer. If you want 2% regulation on this tap, like, uh, like it might come at a cost of something else, but, um, you know, it's, 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 
typically a balance between all those constraints and less subjective than, than kind of that output transformer world, I would say, which I'm still much of like still learning very much a student. Well, and it's also uh, power transformers tend to be a bit more robust just overall. Yeah. This particular one I spec'd is uh, around 260 volt amps. Um, and that, I think it's 12 pounds is, is what it's come out to. Uh, not, not, not a small piece of, you know, mass, not, it's a big chunk of iron sitting on top of the, of the transformer. Now it's probably a little bit overbuilt. I'll be honest, but it's partially because I was trying to hit that regulation. Like we've got some, we got some windings on there that we want to do some specific things. And, um, you know, we, we wanted to make sure it was tight enough toleranced for our application. Cool. So uh, when do you think you'll have this all wound up? Well, so 4th of July is coming up here, and uh, I'll have a few days off work. I think I might might take a stab at it there. So I, 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 This is what I love about this <laughs> this podcast is like most people be like, 4th of July is coming up. I'm going to the lake, and we're going jet ski. No, I'm going to cook some barbecue. You're going to wind a transformer. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's what my wife would like me to do. So I have to kind of like sneak off in between <laughs> like things. So while you're juggling your kids, you're also juggling your wife, right? 100%. I got I got it for you, Josh. Is cook a brisket because then there's there's several hours of I'll not have like doing fifteen anything. hours of of inactive time. To yes, <laughs> and, just, and whenever she bugs you, you just like I'm cooking a brisket. I actually, so it's funny. I actually am going to a party on the fourth uh, late in the evening, and I'm supposed to bring a pork shoulder. So there you go. Uh, excuse <laughs> built in. You're a genius, Parks. <laughs> cool stuff. All right. Uh, do you have anything more you want to add to that? Or no. Are we no. I would just out? say I just I, I don't know. Just like most other people who are passionate about hobbies or things that they're interested in, I can talk for hours about this. So, you, you know, I'm more than happy to, like I said, answer questions or just kick the you, shoot the shit with anybody who wants to like mess around with guitar amps or talk transformers like hit me up and and i'd be more than happy to talk i think i'm even on your slack channel even though I'm you're not in super our slack active, channel now so. yeah so yeah. but yeah that being said i appreciate the invite and getting a chance to come and talk about something i love so all right yeah well we're not over so, we're not done yet josh no i'm yeah, still gonna we, be here we, we've you, got you'll have to be here to for i'll be like those, talk about shit. those two old guys from the muppets like firing in like comments now about things that I don't understand. So I'm not even one beer through right now. So we've got a little ways to go. Oh, we got we got plenty of time to go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I've got an update for the Doom shitty add-on. Yeah. I think I've shown the video of it working to you, Josh. So you kind of know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I do. I do. It's a little LCD screen that's got Doom guy looking angry on it. <laughs> yeah. And so over the past uh, week, I got the EEPROM interface. To it working it only works with single byte reads and writes and i think at that point i'm just like it works i'm just gonna i'm gonna put into its documentation do not try to do multiple byte reads or writes because it just won't work <laughs> <laughs> nice it will fail gracefully as in it just acknowledges that you did it and it just nothing happens of course um and so you can basically you can request what from the first couple of addresses of the EEPROM, simulated EEPROM, I should say. It's just a flash location, right, of memory. Um, 
you can request like what kind of shitty add-on it is, who made it, what year, what DEFCON year it's for, etc. Um, and then you can also write to a couple addresses in there. Ooh, so, giving away some secrets here? Yeah, so this is going to be kind of the secret stuff that's going to happen. So right now, the videos I've shown of it, it shows it cycles through all the faces. That's not what it's going to do when you first plug it in. So when you first plug it in, it's just going to show this, the neutral, what I'm calling the neutral Doom guy face, where he's just like normal looking, he's just like looking around like that. But then there's <laughs> going to be an address in there that is damage and anger. And so the more damage he takes, that you can increase the value in the damage register, right? And he gets more, like, bloody. Or if you increase anger, he gets more angry looking. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Can I, can I take a guess real quick? Yeah. Is it, is it, uh, is the address... I haven't come up with the addresses yet. Oh, come on. Because it, right it should be 0H666. It should be the address <laughs> that you write to, right? <laughs> I don't know. We only have one byte for addresses. Oh, yeah. Well, shit. It doesn't support. <laughs> it doesn't support um, uh, two byte addresses, or what's called oh. extended EEPROM read write right. addresses. It doesn't support that. So, um, that is a good idea. Okay, so. H E one one, right? So the the uh, all of the all of the addresses for there's four addresses H E one and one, right? Sure. There you go. Address hell. <laughs> Address <laughs> hell. Um, and I, I still got to make sure that the GitHub goes public. I'm still cleaning it up and adding documentation. Because when I make that public, I want like people to actually implement this kind of stuff into their badges. And I've already mm -hmm. had a couple of people come. Like, ask me, like, hey, I want to put in stuff in our badges so that you plug in a Doom, it does stuff. And so this is kind of like the beginnings of the functionality of this interface for the Doom SAO. Um, oh, yeah, and, like, part of the SAO, a shitty add-on interface, is, like, just GPIO pins that you can toggle. And so one of them, when you toggle it, it changes what the Doom guy is doing. So, like... He'll normally just be looking ahead, and then when you toggle it, he'll, like, look around. And then you can oh. cycle through how he moves his face and stuff. So, like... Oh, that's cool. Um, one person's making, like, a musical badge. And he wanted Wait, to make... Putting, are they he putting wanted e to make him move to the sounds. And so, like, yeah, we'll just make it so that it reads a pin, and the pins go, uh, transitions from the zero to one. It changes the state of him looking. Oh gosh, it would be so great if it played the the first level sound if you plug <laughs> that in. You know, like the music from the first level. Well, I think he listens to our podcast, so hopefully he takes that idea. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. yeah that one's free. Yeah, that, <laughs> that one's free. One, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's been pretty exciting working. This one's really um kind of challenged my programming abilities. It's been a long time since I've done embedded programming and like building that EEPROM interface, the fact that there's a lot of examples, especially because I'm doing it all in Arduino. So it's like, oh, Arduino, blah, blah, blah. It's not in C, you know, whatever. Um, but the fact that no one really has like a simulated EEPROM interface that you can just get. And so I think that's actually one thing that people can get from this project is like that, e that simulated, e like a microcontroller faking being an EEPROM. 
So you can basically like shove whatever data you want into onto the I square C bus is you know something that no one's really tried before, or people have tried but not published their code. Right. Right. Yeah. You know. Okay. So it's funny enough that that sort of brings up a little bit of a topic that um, I've been kind of struggling with the past couple of days, uh, and it's the idea that like for for stuff like what we do on the podcast where in general like Parker and I were doing projects before the podcast existed like we were doing a lot of this stuff without the need for having it done on a podcast but now we we have this so there's also kind of like a little bit of an extra drive to do things in our off time but to to have sort of variety and also have like projects going all the time it's really difficult to approach a project and have it done in a very professional manner, but also have it done in a short period of time when it's not your full-time job. And I'm not complaining about this, but in other words, like there's this, there's this really like, there's, there's sort of a, a drive to kind of Arduino everything because you can just crap out code and it just works, (laughs) but I don't want to do that. But I also don't want to spend two years on a single project trying to get it to this like really professional state. So there's like this Goldilocks range right in the middle where you get a good product and it's not just relying on libraries that someone wrote for Arduino. Yeah, you're correct because like the screen interface is is a library I found. I didn't have to write that protocol. It uses the SAMD21's DMA uh, memory controller and that all works and like i had to write a render but i'm using like stock functions in that graphics library it's like the adafruit graphics library Mm -hmm. to do so like i i didn't write the low level stuff i wrote a like intermediate so i can basically shove in a byte array and it craps out doom guy right (laughs) and i try to make that that function expandable so that people can basically dump their own own byte arrays in and then it poops out whatever they wanted to you know display right right well i guess what i'm getting at is is it's kind of it's difficult when you're coming up with constantly coming up with projects where each project could easily eat up a full-time job for months you know yes. uh and and you and i are pretty good at that in fact yes. Roz is too <laughs> Roz is, is really good at this also uh it's <laughs> like how many how many irons are in the fire? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. How so, many irons are in the fire? Uh, yeah, too too many, too many, too, too many. many. Yeah. yeah, yeah, too many to do the way that I want to do them, or the way that I see it in my head. You know, that is true. Um, that, that's one thing I've been taking away with this Doom Sao is like, okay, sure, I could spend all the time building a library that will work with this screen or i can use something and leverage something else that someone else has built right yeah and now i'm like okay the whole point of this project was not to build an st77 or you know is it st7792 lcd interface it the goal was to build doom sao right so you have to i I think you have to start looking at your end goal and being like okay is that code i'm going to borrow or this piece of hardware i'm going to borrow am i going to really learn anything if i do that process most of the time like i've written code that builds a display interface i've done it in fpga so at this point i'm like oh i can just borrow that code i'm going to do it now because i won't learn anything (laughs) different from Right. right 
I might learn a slightly different protocol at this point. Um, Which, so I'm completely yeah. fine doing that. You, you know, okay, so that totally reminds me of um, a Hackaday article that we talked about a while ago where it was like, what are you asking yourself to do in order to accomplish a project? Like, you have a project and it needs a piece of aluminum for a jig in order to complete that project. Well, are you going to build an entire CNC to mill that that? piece of aluminum and do you need a 3d printer in order to print a 3d printed bracket in order to build the cnc in order to mill the aluminum that's just a jig for another project you know like that level like that is true yeah like those kinds of things actually happen yeah and that's why i they happen i I find myself planning that up until the point of actually like i'll plan the whole project i'll know exactly what needs to happen and then it'll get right up to like that phase where i start buying things and then like wait a second like this is gonna cost five thousand dollars i can't do this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no that's the reason why i went with i bought a 3d printer instead of building a 3d printer yeah yeah because i'm yeah. like i know i've built xy gantries before and coded them and stuff and i'm like i don't need to do that again to make get a 3d printer right so i'm like i'm gonna buy a 3d printer Right. And I think that's that's one thing to look at is you have to weigh all those options when you start going into your next project is like, well, how far do you want to go? Like, do you want like, let's say I, I'm going to put a new engine in my Jeep, my uh, Jeep, right? Do I want to go to the point where I'm digging an ore mine to get to st- get the iron ore and then smelting a block? I mean, more power to you if that's what you want to do. But I mean, that's kind of what Roz is doing. Like he could he's buy a almost transformer. I'm, I'm, yeah. almost, I think the next time he comes on, he's going to be like folding the steel over an anvil and making the laminations perfect. Damascus yeah. steel yeah. No, no, no. transformers. <laughs> yes, I can. I know. I can see. Like he will have hand, like hand uh, uh, chiseled a, a die, and he's pulling copper through it. Yeah, to get like hands. the right wire diameter. <laughs> now, now I feel like you guys are trolling. <laughs> but. It's only funny because it's mostly true. <laughs> no, I'm saying I admire this, Roz. No, no. I, yeah, because you know, you know they, they used to say ADHD was an affliction, but you know, it's things like it, I, like I only I, I hyper focus actually causes me to do some of this stuff, right? No, it's like just, just Renaissance man disease. That's I, what I, it is. Honestly, it? It, yeah, it's it's the opposite of the whole. Um, I don't know, like microwave generation that I've kind of grown up with as a kid, right? Where you don't do any, you don't know how to do anything. You don't know how to change your oil. You don't know how to, you know, build something. You don't know how to like something that's hard and not your forte, like do something that makes you curious just because it makes you curious. I don't know. It's kind of like, why do, why am I building transformers? Cause people said, Nobody understands why. Well, like they say you can't, right? That's kind of why I wanted to. Like, but it doesn't seem that hard. So just go Google a bunch of shit and put a plan together, and here you go. Now you you've spent a couple thousand dollars on something. <laughs> <laughs> a couple thousand dollars Actually, to build I, a two hundred dollar transformer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think it's less about uh, people. Um, knowing how to make something it's more about people not being willing to learn or maybe not even not being willing to learn or it's like they've just never been taught that you can teach yourself like you can go and figure it out 
Steven, I think that's the big one right there. Is people don't realize that they can't self-serve themselves. Mm. Or they can. <laughs> well, they yeah, don't know like, they can. Yeah, they don't know they can. Yeah, like, it's it's all at your fingertips. It's it's up to you. Like, nobody's going to knock on your door and be like, hey, I heard you're into this. I'm going to teach you how to do this. Like, yeah, especially You go these figure days. it out. You literally have the, pa- like, the all of the knowledge of the entire universe on a little computer you carry around in your pocket and you use it to play candy crush candy crush <laughs> angry birds what, what what's a popular game nowadays and troll people flappy like, crap about political memes on facebook with your grandparents or whatever so it's it's insane uh how i mean to some extent it's like it takes time it takes effort to do this stuff right so there's got to be some kind of curiosity like base level if you don't care about it you're not just gonna go do it so yeah, I'm never going to learn about how to make a transformer. Uh, and hey, you know what? <laughs> six I'll just have months you build ago, my transformers. Six months ago, I would have told you the same thing. I'd have been like, "You're crazy." I, I'm never doing that. And here I am. So, it, it, I think it all has to do with right. It's attached. It's attached to the interest that I have mm-hmm. in music and guitar amplifiers, and it's just another kind of facet of that. So. Yeah, we're all turning into old men now. We're also yep. these, these whippersnappers Damn don't kids. do anything. Well, no. It, uh, earlier, yeah, Josh was talking about his generation, which is our generation, and you know, people saying you don't know how to mow a lawn or change oil, or whatever. And I'm, I'm like, was, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely like, knocking I, our, I, our generation. When, I, when people tell me that, I like, I like look in my garage and I'm like, you want to go weld? We can go weld right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. I guess I guess some of it is that chip on the shoulder attitude because we're used to hearing other people talk about like maybe our generation that way. Like, oh, the millennials, right? I don't know how many times you hear about people kind of use us as the scapegoat for something. It's like, I don't want to be that kind of stereotype, right? Which I'm not saying we are. Um, but that's like, all right, well, I wine freaking Transformers and do crazy things just like you're building a doom shitty add-on like <laughs> who who goes through that level of detail for something that's like just kind of fun right mm-hmm. i don't know it's 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 hard and it's not the everyday thing that you see people running into and doing just for fun so well well on top of that i think i think parker you kind of nailed it on the head right there you like with what you were saying was like do you want to come over and weld like uh, I, I don't. I don't think Parker's the kind of guy that's going to, uh, you know, just open up his garage and have a big sign on it. It's like free weld shop or anything Come like weld. that. But, but like, if somebody came up to Parker, I I know in general, like, if someone was like, "Hey, I want to learn how to weld," Parker would be like, "Okay, well, I'll show you some things." You know, bring a six pack of beer and come to my house at yeah. eight o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and we'll right. weld all day. <laughs> right, right. And but the biggest difference is you have to ask. Six you have to be, be enough, the one buddy. who's like, "Oh, you have a welder? Can I learn?" Like that's all you have to do. Exactly. Right. You have to be. You have to take that first step. Right. And, well, and and bring a six pack of beer. If and bring you're a six pack of beer. Over twenty one. Well, and that's yeah. the same. Like going back to the story I told about that. Have your dad bring shop. me a six pack of beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> six pack will get you through breakfast. But what are you going to drink for the rest of the day? Well, I, you you also wait. But the thing is, you also have to be willing to accept that Parker might sit in a lawn chair and drink that beer and make fun of you while you will. <laughs> like that might happen. But that's also like go. That's part of the training. You know. Padawan. See these scars? They're from welding. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. You wonder where I got these scars from? 
Oh, oh great. man. Yeah, that's our old man rant right there. Arr, Arr. Get off my lawn. <laughs> okay, uh, I guess on to the next thing, which is me, right? Yes. Unless, do you have anything more to add on to the Doom shitty add-on? <laughs> no, I think we're well off topic by now. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so, quick update. Uh, all the parts for the MacroAmp uh, version 2.0 are on order. Once again, thank you, Mauser, for all the help you've been uh, giving us on that. Really appreciate it. Uh, we will have some cool updates on that, and um, I've got some articles coming out that's going to talk about the entire design of it. So, if you want to follow along and uh, watch that. Even the uh, construction, I'm going to have a whole thing on like, here's all the design choices I've made in order to make, you know, this thing. So that'll be, that will be fun. Um, I am going to have to do, I, I bought actually a new enclosure that is a wooden enclosure. And just because of the thickness of the enclosure, nothing can mount to it because it's so damn thick. So I'm going to have to do some goofy crap where is it like... T-H-I-C-C? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, like, like I want RCA jacks connected to the enclosure itself, and I want them connected to the wooden part, not the not the top part, just from the way it looks. But I'm gonna have to use a Forzner bit or a paddle bit on a and and hog out wooden material to make the wall thin enough that an RCA jack could actually screw to it. Yeah. So it's because I'm like, I love most of the design of this, that's the one thing where I'm like, God, I hate that I have to do that because it's going to look <laughs> not so great. And it's also like sort of really like goofy custom, but whatever. Sometimes you have to make these compromises. What about, like about a, being the engineers about like a recessed panel? Like you could route out like a panel and mount like a piece of aluminum or something in there. Stop being smart, Roz. Okay. Like just, <laughs> just be mad with me about my decisions. Damn here. wood. <laughs> <laughs> well, the recessed panel thing is, is, is a good idea, but it's more work. Like yeah. the, the force, the, the paddle bit is like put it on a drill pit. How much yeah, like it is right there. It's like yeah, a, a, a Forstner bit or paddle bit. You just like yeah, you draw two, you draw the dot, and you on a drill press. Whereas now you're talking about jigging it into a CNC. Yep. He's got to build yep. a CNC yep. first, <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to build a fixture to hold the case. Next right. week on the Macrofab podcast, Steve starts to build a CNC. Oh, next year. No, no, get it right. Get it right. Yeah. Steven has a CNC, actually. Uh, it is not built currently. <laughs> it's in, or it used to be built. It's like a, it's a four by eight made out of wood, and it's a chain drive, which is ridiculous. That always made Barker mad that it was yeah. chain drive. Uh, yeah. What hey, I cut it? guitars like, it on that. It worked, though. It worked great. It worked. It, 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 it did work. And, and eventually, I will rebuild that. But... You know what's funny? I don't have a project that needs it right now, so I don't. I can I don't give want you it. a few. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. Uh, Roz and I have some projects that are in a cauldron that are boiling right now, and and one as soon as they spill over, I'm gonna say, "Well, shit, I need a CNC." <laughs> <you know? laughs> uh, eventually, that'll happen. I'm trying to avoid it. I mean, you guys can see my basement right now. There are things to do in here. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, you know, actually, funny enough, with back to the paddle bits and the Forzner uh, bits, you know what the biggest thing that I just don't look forward to with that is? So Parker's absolutely 100% right. You just mark the center, and you just pull the lever on the, on the 
on the drill press and you get a hole with a flat bottom, right? right. The biggest thing that I don't, I really just don't want to do right now is set my depth. I don't want to find what the depth is and have to set <laughs> it, it for each a- hole individually and, and do all this crap. I just don't want to. Go buy a $99 drill press from Home Depot and they have depth stops on them. Yeah, exactly. That's the part I don't want to do. <laughs> No, the funny thing is, like, I run a CNC all day at work. Like, I'm in charge. Well, in fact, now I set up a second one. So I'm in charge of our entire metal milling department. And and it's funny because I love doing that, but I do it for eight hours every day now. I, I kind of want to come home and not do that anymore, you know? Yeah, I get, I get you. So, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's a ton of fun and, and whatnot, but just, like... I'm not looking forward to that. I don't know why. Well, actually, you know, here's the thing. I designed the second board for the the Macaramp version 2. I designed the board. It's a single board. There are very few solder points. It just drops into the chassis, and everything has screw terminals. So all the transformers connect directly to the board via terminal blocks. Wow. Uh, So there's, like, the, the actual construction of the amp is really quick, which I'm looking forward to. Um, so, so the chassis is it one of those like Hammond chassis with like the walnut trim on it? And those are always those always look nice. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I will hold it up here so oh, that Roz can see it. I've got this is this is Ooh, the version sweet. one. Oh, that looks uh, slick, man. Yeah, yeah. They're they're really nice. Wait, what's the, that iron on the inside? Is that a choke? Yeah, yeah. That's oh, a that's crazy. a monster. It's a I don't even I think it's a five Henry choke that's in there. So I ended up scrapping that and making a solid state choke um gyrator design which we talked about in a handful yeah, of episodes yeah. ago um so that's going to go well not it's already on the pcb uh cool. so a lot easier to design and implement um and i even went with uh pcb mounted tube sockets so everything just kind of slaps right into the chassis and nice. goes that's sort of why i was uh, not wanting to do the whole chassis modification to get it done. But regardless, <laughs> whatever. That's all that. So all of those parts are on order. Uh, should have that in about a week or two when Macrofab decides to build my stuff and send it to me. Working on it. Yeah. Uh, so last episode I talked about, um, since MacRamp is basically in a close-to-done phase, I wanted to move to a different project, and I wanted to do something with a processor that I actually have to you know, design and write firmware for and do some coding. So I've been mulling over ideas and um, this isn't set in stone, but this is sort of one that's come to mind and it actually solves an issue that I've been wanting to solve for a while. This is, this is, this project falls. I just thought of it. It falls into the, the current theme of this podcast as well of how far do you want to go back to actually building stuff? Oh, because you can buy one of these things. No, you can't. Oh, you can't. I, well, okay, you, I, I apologize. You can buy one of these things, but it has it has one critical function that I've never been able to find in anything I can buy, and uh, and I want to discuss that a little bit. And, and funny enough, it's a really easy function. So I want to buy a uh, a fridge controller for uh, brewing, uh, brewing beer. So in fact, not only can you buy one, I actually already have one. Yeah, you have uh, an ST. Was it STC one hundred? Uh, it's a Johnson's control. Okay, you got Johnson's control because I the have ink, the, the Inkbird. Yeah, I got one of those. Yeah, yeah he's got Inkbird. I've got the STC one hundred, which is that little module that you just like. Yeah, yeah. That's I got like I got hundreds of those. Well, maybe not hundreds, but lots. 
like two. <laughs> I mean, they're like twenty bucks. I have like yeah. no, I have like five of them. Well, okay, and here's the thing: I've had this. <laughs> gosh, wow! I've had this same controller since 2010. I think is when I bought it. So it's been going strong, and and it's been running not entirely that that whole time, but for a good chunk of the last nine years. That fridge controller's been been running, and and what this thing is is it's it's basically just. A, a, a relay in a box with a brain and it has a temperature probe on it you put a set point on that temperature probe when your fridge passes that threshold it turns the fridge on the fridge can cool down and then it turns off that's all it does and that's fantastic and it works really great there's a there's a downfall in my mind with that design or two i should say first of all it has only the capability to cool or to heat, not either. Uh, so I want to design one that can switch on a fridge or it can switch on a heat lamp. When I lived in Houston, I only ever needed cooling, but up here, I need both. It actually, it does matter. So I want to be able to have a threshold and you know, be smarter than the thermostat in my house and be able to switch from heat to cool, which that's something that we complained about the other day on the podcast. Um, the other thing is, and this is where the, I've never found a controller that has the capability. I ferment at any one given time. I typically ferment two different batches of beer. I want to be able to have probes in both batches and I want to be able to take the average temperature between both of them. And I want to be able to set the fridge temperature to the average temperature of either brew. Uh, because sometimes, um, one brew can be going way more vigorously than the other one, and it can actually be producing more heat than the other one. And so you can have the temperature of the one that's not as aggressive be off if you're trying to measure the temperature of the aggressive one or the other way. Basically, I want to be able to monitor both of them. But on top of that, I also want to be able to monitor the ambient temperature. So I want thermo wells that go down into my fermenters where I can have temperature probes that are measuring the actual liquid temperature. But I also want to measure the ambient of my fridge. And I want to be able to get an idea of all three of these temperatures and be able to make a more complex algorithm as opposed to just like, oh, I've reached a threshold, turn on or off. You know? so, I, sounds I, like I, you I need want... a glycol system, bro. <laughs> So yeah, I was actually thinking about the glycol system because um, I I had an idea to build my because uh, I have an upright freezer for my fermentator. Yeah. yeah, and that that's the biggest problem is because a lot of times I'd have two or three beers brewing or fermenting in there, and you're like, well, I kind of had to pick one temperature to keep the whole fridge at, right? Right. And usually you pick like the freshest, the newest beer in there is the one that you set the temperature to. Right. Because right. after seven days it really doesn't matter what the, that beer is set to anymore no because it it's done does its thing it's done right. um so i was thinking i'm like hey it would be a really good idea if you could put a thermal well on all of them right yeah and then all of them have their own like a like a like a blanket around them the mm -hmm. heater blanket because you can get like fermentator blankets that go around that heat oh and so i see where all of them have this. that and then you keep the fridge to the lowest temp the, of your beer. So like I say, you're fermenting at, at 65 degrees Fahrenheit for one yeah. of them. And then all the other ones have a higher set point and they run their blankets more. 
Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> and the that's inverse so of the, energy of the inefficient, machine. but I like it. It is very energy inefficient, but it would work, and it, it would be a lot cheaper than a glycol system. Well, and yeah, it's like an inverse of a glycol system instead yeah. of like your yeah because yeah, a glycol sure. basically just it, it's the opposite. You you put the tanks at room temperature, and you're just sending cold glycol through mm-hmm. them. Yeah. In this case, you're putting them in a cold chamber and sending warm goodness around them warm <laughs> electrons around them yeah well and, <laughs> and, 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 and with, with that kind of uh with that thing you could you could technically lager and ale at the same time yeah exactly which which would be pretty cool now now another another feature that i'm kind of uh, thinking about adding to this controller is so so fermentation is an exothermic reaction so when the yeast is going nuts in the beer they're actually warming things up um, what, what could be cool is instead of taking the average, you could just say, make sure that the hottest one doesn't matter which one it is, but the hottest one never goes above this temperature. So you could have a, a global threshold in the fridge for mm-hmm. whichever one is the hottest. I like that idea too. So that, that's how con- I used to run mine, but I only had one yeah. probe. Right. And I, I right. just put that probe in the, whatever was the newest beer. Yeah. So you're, you're sort of, you're sort of tricking it. Like yeah. well, you're sort of just assuming whichever one I want to design this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I think so, if you, yeah. we should combine these two ideas because then you can design it and I can just buy it from you. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, okay, so I want to use some DS eighteen B twenty temperature probes. Those are super cheap. They're actually like they're half a degree Celsius accurate, uh, and they have. 2% tolerance, I think. So in general, they're super easy to use. What's nice is they're also one-wire compatible. So um, in fact, I think someone hit me up on Twitter the other day. I can't remember who it was. I apologize. But um, they had 48 different temperature probes on a single pin on a processor. Uh, and they were just getting a huge aggregate temperature data off of it. So in general, I want to I get a, a nice box. Uh, in fact, I'm thinking about... Um, Getting one off sides. of uh, Takachi or Takachi. I don't remember how to pronounce that. Uh, Takachi, I think. Takachi. They make excellent enclosures, and they, uh, they'll they do, like, printing and uh, milling for you if you want that, even at low um, low volumes. In fact, uh, Trey German, we had him on once, and he was showing off his uh, altimeter, I think it was, project. And uh, he, he had um, Takachi make that the, those enclosures for him. Yeah, the, 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 my favorite thing with that company because I I actually like working with that company because they work with you with like singles or up to yeah. production runs, right? Is it's Takachi sounds like a Japanese company and they're a Chinese company, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought that was that was interesting. So, um, I one of the other things I want to do is I, I want to add Wi-Fi connectivity to it, and that's it doesn't need it, but it's more. I've never, <laughs> I, well, I've never, I've never designed Wi-Fi into a product before. So this is along the lines of what you were talking about earlier, where like I want to do something because I will learn because I'm doing mm-hmm. it. And and the eye spindles that I created, they they had Wi-Fi, but I I wouldn't call those mine because I just followed instructions, you know. Uh, so I want to implement Wi-Fi. And Parker and I were talking about it the other day. I sort of don't want to use the ESP eighty two sixty six, and that's not because like I want to be ironic. And do something different than everyone else. Really, I the the eighty two sixty six is just we've we've discussed issues with it. it. There's some headache that I want to avoid, uh, and I don't want to just 
you know, write enough, some more Arduino code. I've done that before. I want to learn something new. Uh, so I've started looking at different Wi-Fi um, modules. And actually, I've found that Silicon Labs, which is something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, Silicon Labs has a lot of solutions for Wi-Fi connectivity. Uh, they have some good modules and a lot of really, they have some powerful stuff, things that are like the uh, Wemos D1 Mini and a lot of other things of that sort. And the there's a general ESP stuff. Um, but they also have some really simple modules that are just basically power and serial where you just give it data and it out into the atmosphere and data comes back right and to the uh, mothership yeah yeah it it automatically it has the mothership stack built inside right uh so i'm I'm looking into brewing a red ale (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly well and it's funny because if i go with the silicon labs wi-fi stuff silicon labs also has a usb to uart bridge ic they also have all the efm8 uh, processor stuff, I was thinking, why not just Silicon Labs it all the way? Like, do every chip that I can Silicon Labs just for fun, you know? Because technically, I've never done anything Silicon Labs other than play their Space Invaders on their dev board that, that we got. <laughs> Which, well, and, and I, I apologize, I modified their code to make Space Invaders run at like 5x speed, and it was impossible to play. Uh, that's that's my, the extent of my Silicon Labs work. Um, which was cool. So, um, in general, that's sort of what I'm thinking about for my next um, project. I think that will be kind of fun. And um, I also kind of want to do the um, Wi-Fi as an external antenna as opposed to the, like, PCB trace antenna. Um, mainly because I was looking at the uh, Takachi enclosures, and they have some really cool-looking industrial enclosures that you mount to the wall. And I'm thinking I might make this look like something that you would have purchased from an industrial supply, you know? And I don't know. That's just, that, that sounds really fun. And their enclosures are really well, well done. Their data sheets too, because they, for most of their data sheets, they provide a PCB layout example of like, make this and it will screw into our enclosure. Uh, so you can, you can do some really nice stuff with that. So cool. That's, that's enough of me rambling on about my crap. <laughs> So I guess we'll go on. To, so I'm actually looking forward to it because if you, I, I want to use that for my fermentation. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and and you might uh, cross your fingers, or assuming my macro ramp works, you might also end up with a macro ramp at some point in time. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I've actually been setting up my hi-fi stuff here, so it'd be fun. Yeah, we need yeah. to build a power ramp then. Uh, the macro ramp is a power ramp. Oh, it is a power. I thought it was a preamp. No, it's the whole thing. It's the whole kit and caboodle. Ah, you, gotcha. You just you just plug anything into it, and then plug speakers directly into the back. Sounds like I need to get some new speakers then. That's right. Go down to build the thrift those, store. Uh, they always have them. Build some of those plywood speakers. <laughs> oh yeah, the uh, exciters the on them. Speakers, yeah, yeah. That's another. That's another show. <laughs> so I guess we'll go on to the RFO. So the first RFO is confirmed. NASA has been hacked. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and so this is a audit that was performed by the U.S. Office of Inspector General. It was published by NASA this week, which revealed that an unauthorized Raspberry Pi computer was connected to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is JPL, servers, and was a targeted vector by hackers. Use it to move further into the NASA network. 
So they were able, the hackers were able to access all the way through to the deep space network array. They hacked space guys. <laughs> With a pie. With a raspberry pie. <laughs> if, if you, wait, no, 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 wait. If, if we went back 30 years and just said that exact same phrase, people would be like, wait, what? With a pie? <laughs> yeah. We hack space with a raspberry pie. <laughs> that sounds like something that would be on Back to the Future. And so the only, only thing I really want to talk about on this one is, do we think that, was the raspberry pie just something like some server admin was using as, as you know, it wasn't intentional. He plugged it in to use it as like a node or as a serial terminal or something like that. Or do you think someone actually planted this device to allow the hackers to get into the servers? No, somebody at NASA was goofing off on their lunch break and forgot to unplug their pie. I guarantee you that's what happened. Well, and, and you know what? You just have to see, did they change the password or is it still raspberry and pie? <laughs> you, are, you are correct, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I bet you it was an accident and then someone some guy was just pinging you know trying to find some raspberry pies on the internet and then hit one that was that j had a jpl you know ip <laughs> either that or, or or we're sending we're literally sending 35 dollar computers into space to power things which i would not be surprised yeah and they're actually using it for like some kind of development hmm. i mean be. jpl is like the cool part of nasa too they they do all like the robots yeah. I say Russian collusion. Mm. Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would say looking at like looking at the document and stuff, I think it's probably someone left it plugged in and it wasn't supposed to be plugged in. <laughs> like I said, check the check if you check the password, that would probably tell you the answer. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and the password wasn't Russia collusion. <laughs> Russia collusion. <yeah. laughs> no, it's just fake news. Right? Well, um, I guess this week there was also some uh, other Raspberry Pi news, right, Parker? Yeah, so the Raspberry Pi 4 got released earlier this week. Um, it's faster, better, stronger, uh, uses Type-C USB for power. There's not a lot of information about that, like it actually implements the USB power uh, delivery service. It just says it has USB Type-C, so that can be anything. Uh, it has USB 3.0, which is fast compared to the old 2.0 that it used to have. Mm. It has a lot more RAM. It, you can get four gigs now. Up to four gigs, yeah. Yeah, up to four gigs. It has gigabit ethernet, which is cool. And I think the coolest feature about this though is it has two HDMI ports and it can drive 4K monitors. Which is That's pretty right. sweet. Yeah, and they're the mini HDMI. That us. sucks. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have, now you have yeah, to buy who owns those? Right? Yeah, that cable. Um, um, but you know, only... it's, it, it's funny. The uh, it's been slowly progressing. When 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 the I think the Raspberry Pi one and two you could both run off of a one amp five volt wall charger and then the Raspberry Pi three was like, well, you can, but you're gonna lose performance. And now it's it's five volts, three amps. It runs a, it, it requires a 15 watt power supply now. Yeah. My biggest problem with the Raspberry Pi 4 is the whole point of the first couple was like getting computers in the hands of everyone. 
It's kind of like why the first versions of these, they had a composite video output. So you can plug it into any CRT TV. Right. That for a monitor. This is kind of like... I mean, sure, it's the same price. So it's like, it's still like the cheapest version of this, of the Raspberry Pi 4 is still 35 bucks, which is amazing given like inflation and all that stuff. But who Tariffs. is has 4K monitors to plug this thing into? I mean, I guess you can use the standard monitors, but you still need these like special HDMI mini or micro cables to normal HDMI, which not everyone has lying around. So you still have to buy those cables. Well, most, uh, so I think a lot of laptops actually, don't they have, I'm trying to think, like they have the mini HDMI. Mm-hmm. Well, so it would be like mini port. HDMI to mini HDMI. So yeah, I don't know. Well, right. But I mean, the, if you're buying this, you already got the computer part True. of it, yeah. right? Um, cool. I don't know. It's 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 cool. Like it's. Uh, I like how they're improving it. It's just one of those like, that HDMI decision with that cable, it's like, oh, I have to go find that cable. And that strikes me as like a space consideration, though. They were probably it trying was. to cram more outputs onto the board. and Because and I kept the same form factor. Yeah, so. it's always been the same form factor with the same um, mounting holes. The, and you the know, only thing they changed was the, the I.O. pins. Oh, actually, you, um, you know what changed on this one? Um, and I'm not entirely sure why there is a major change on this. The Ethernet connector is on the other side of the board now. Not fully the other side of the board, but if you're looking at the side that has the Ethernet and the USBs, it's flopped. So huh. it actually won't fit in your cases for the Raspberry Pi 3, 1, 2, or 3. It, it will require its own case. Well, how long will it take for someone to make a new... Raspberry Pi 4 case on Thingiverse so I can just oh, put one. It's already it's done. Out there, right? I guarantee it's you it's already done. Yeah, guaranteed. <laughs> uh, cool thing is you can actually, uh, you could do this with the uh, the 3 also, but uh, this um, supports power over Ethernet for the full 3 amp, 5 volt uh, supply, which oh, that's, that's cool. kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah. Uh, although a power over Ethernet hub that supplies that much power is not particularly cheap, so you would yeah need a, you'd need a reason for it. We're going back to complaining about the HDMI ports, and you have to like power over Ethernet. Well, I mean, if you needed if you if you had a need for multiple of these throughout your factory or whatnot, sure. then that's a really easy. And you way don't to have do a it. bunch of yeah. Well, you don't have to have power every, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So cool, new Raspberry Pi, just in time for me to not have learned the last one. <laughs> Alright, so the next topic is the, I thought this was really cool uh, The research platform FLIP And FLIP stands for Floating Instrument Platform It's a 355 foot long Research platform It's a boat They say it's not a boat They say it's a research platform It's a boat though It's 355 foot long So it's longer than a football field And for people who are not in America It's longer than a soccer field Pitch. Pitch. Pitch? Is it pitch? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I said damn, soccer, damn not Yankees. football. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so what it does is it's, so it's, it's really long, and so when you, they get into position in the ocean, they fill it up with water as a ballast, and, it be, and like 300 feet of it goes underwater, and so it's a big, they call it a spire buoy, and so it doesn't move at all when like waves hit it. It's very stable. 
And so they can do a lot of like uh, current research and, and wave motion and stuff like that. But the it's interesting how they designed the interior to handle the fact that when you're moving it, it's looks it's <laughs> it like a boat. 90 degrees. And then everything. when you, you set it up, it goes 90. So like the bathroom has two gyro? seats. No. Oh, no. It, everything really? has two of everything or it pivots. That's cool. So like the bathroom has like two of everything. One is just 90 degrees out of phase. <laughs> no, need to get... so, oh my it's gosh, really cool. it was so built go... in 1962. It's, it's been around for a while today too. Yeah. Wow. So I... it's funky looking when you see like when because it looks like a boat is sinking because it's like it tips up and looks like it's just going bow first into the water. Right. So I guess they they fill it up with water and then when they need to drive somewhere else they have to pump all that water out of it. Right. Yeah. yeah probably. That probably takes forever. Probably. It's just one guy with a hand pump. (laughs) (laughs) Crank, crank. Yeah. Well, well, all the other guys are sitting on lawn chairs drinking beers watching him, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just don't be on the the bottom part when they uh, hit that flip button, I guess. Yeah. Oh, don't yeah. be on the don't be on the don't, don't be, be on, on the, the wrong side toilet. of the boat. Yeah, yeah. be on the floor toilet, <laughs> or don't be on the toilet when you're, it's starting to flip. <laughs> uh, so the ne- next topic is the automated dice tester uses machine vision to ensure a fair game. This goes back to kind of what Josh is talking about, where like you find something that you enjoy and you can just like focus on. This guy wrote a 62-page report. On how dice, uh, how ma- the manufacturing of dice influences the roles for the game X Wing, the board game X Wing. Awesome. <laughs> and, yeah, that is pretty awesome. And so he built this like thing that would roll the dice, and it would look at the dice with a camera to figure out what was rolled. And so he can just automate and get a tons tons of you know data. That and then way. he built so, a predictive model on top of that. He he built a machine vision. Um, neural network on top of it. Wow. That's so awesome. like it's even using AI basically to see if that dice rolls are uh, fair or not. And basically he found out no they're not. Some dice have like upwards of like 5 to 15% bias on some of the rolls. Hmm. And he's like well over an entire game yeah that would totally make sense like you that could influence the outcome of the game if oh, you had yeah. good dice. And so I think this is kind of gets to where some people have like lucky dice, right? Like in D and D, like you yeah. have a couple sets, but there's one set that you use a lot because you, that you got good rolls. It's probably because of this, because the manufacturing process of dice makes them inherently not uh, fair. I wonder if there's any other factors that influence that. Like going back to your lucky dice kind of example, like is a dice lucky for Josh because he rolls it a specific way and Steve has a different technique and that's true. Like, too. No, that, dice are always Steve. unlucky for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's one thing you I can predict. A one. <laughs> you no, know, that's, that's, why, that's, that's why I always loved Axis and Allies because most games, positive numbers on dice are, are mean good. But Axis and Allies was designed that lower numbers mean that things are successful. In other words, the number six on a die six is is the worst number you could roll in Axis and Allies. And it must have just been the guy who created it was just like, 
super unlucky all the time. And he's like, I'm making my game the opposite. <laughs> but it's it. It reminds me a lot of when we play online D&D with Roll20.net because it has simulated dice rolls, which are probably fair, meaning that it is a 1 out of 20 chance when you roll a d20 of each number. Where in real life, you would roll your lucky d20 that has some slightly bias to the 20. Which is actually loaded, apparently. Well, they are loaded. Uh, go, <laughs> I would say, actually, read that report. It's 60 pages long, but it's actually very interesting because he goes through his method. He goes through his methodology of how he goes into the design of the tests and what's important because like he, because actually the test is reading the bottom side of the dice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not the top side, but it really doesn't matter because you can just, you know, extrapolate what the top of the dice is. Right. Um, so he goes through this whole process of like the whole design and and the whole uh, how the game how the game works and how if let's say you had five percent more of this how much it would actually influence the game and it's like okay that actually is quite a bit more. Well, okay, so so I I got I got a a monkey wrench to throw in here. So he has at the at the top of this I guess page three, uh, he has a certain. He has a chart that shows the number of dice and how many yeah. rolls they had. And in some of these cases, 31,000 rolls to get a number. That's great. You know, lots of data points mean you can be fairly confident in your data. However, these dice are not made of invincible material. Is he cooking in errors by wearing his dice? You know, 30-something thousand rolls, I guarantee you those dice are not going to be the same as when they were fresh out of the package. Yeah, how many times have you rolled a d20? Me? Oh, gosh. I don't know. A lot. Well, like, one. like Oh, like, like a single one? You Have you rolled a single d20 20,000 times? No, no, for sure not 20,000 times, but a few thousand, probably. So, yeah, I, I wonder if we dig more into this... this um, Paper like maybe he has an overtime bias. Yeah. So here's here's my question though. Here's my issue with his test, and I haven't read it. I'm literally just scrolling through it. So yeah, he's got a lot of rolls here, but I don't see that many different sets of dice. He does have different kinds of dice in here. Well, you, you go down to uh, other dice. I've only seen a handful though. But my point is, is like, yeah, he's got a lot of different samples from a couple maybe a dozen tops different actual dice here so i don't think you can confidently say dice are biased maybe the dice he tested are biased and the thing is though is he also tests the uh there's apparently an app for this game he tests that as well like the dice rolls in that so there's he's pretty thorough at least for this one game yeah, I, I'm gonna read this because this is interesting. This is getting this, into this guy like, must have been screwed out of a handful of games or something. Like yeah, that. I know because yeah. he's, he's a little he's so he bitter. His, 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 he's he's a, a couple coffee tables. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but, um, I, I've I've seen some dice before. Okay, so you know how like normal dice have divots for the for the numbers on them. Yeah, I've right. seen some that are painted, but I've also seen some where the the divots are all equally. Weighted, so they're removing material from each face, such that the equal, equal amount rate. is yeah. there. The weight. I also saw one the other day that was was interesting. It was a gimmick dice at some game store I was at, but 
It was a large die six that was transparent and it was hollow and it had a second die six that was inside of it. So if you ever needed to roll two die six at the same time, you just roll this one, you read the outside and then you read the one on the inside. <laughs> and I bet you that one is um, far less predictable, you know, just because it has this odd mass on the inside that, that throws it around. Off. Yeah. Yeah. But he tests a dice that is marketed as fair and he found that some of them are not fair because of how they're manufactured as well interesting well and and i i actually watched a video of a guy talking about um a lot a lot of dice are when they're made you know they 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 get put into a tumbler Yes, and, and they that's get, actually they get, covers that. Yeah, and that's actually well, and, where and all it, the, af it affects the curvature of the the cusps on each face, and that can have a huge impact. On, and he's, on the dice yeah, thing. he he actually measured some dice, and like there'd be a millimeter and a half of a difference on a side of a face, which is actually so, pretty big. So I was kind of thinking down that next is like okay, now he's he's come up with this result, but can he now narrow it down to factors that predict the, because yeah. I'm thinking through application, right? No manufacturer of dice is going to sit there and roll 10,000 times for one die to yes. make sure it's fair. And that's then their push QC the process as they, right. Yeah. That's not going to that dice is $20,000. But <laughs> if a manufacturer can put it on a scale and measure it in a fraction of a second and determine if it's, Fair or look at it with a computer and you know yeah. determine whether it's uh, measure it with a caliper or wh whatever right if he can come down to like the does he go through that in, in the analysis at all i think i i take away from this is i should build one of these and then put right? my dice in it and then pick the and good find dice. the ones that are the most biased towards yes. like the good 20s <laughs> yeah that's okay. what i'm taking away from this so, so i like so, it i like it here's here's what i would do get this if I wanted to make a perfectly fair dice, what I would do is I would first pick a material that has an incredibly uniform density, something Darren. that's like like a like a composite or a ceramic or something of that sort, where like you cut Water it dice. at any angle and you're gonna get the exact same face and you're gonna get a very uniform material, and then I would mill and lap every face of it. It would be sharp as hell, but like the facets would all be as sharp as possible and then i would laser every numeral on the edge of whatever face it was but i would make sure that the lasering had the same surface area that it was lasering each one and that would be my can idea we make, for the can we make a billet aluminum d20 on your cnc at work uh i'm i bet you we could i i the the, the biggest problem with with things like d20 is how do you hold it that's true. Yeah. That's so hard. Uh, if you had a five-axis CNC, it would be a lot easier. Uh, Tune in next week as Steve builds a five-axis <laughs> CNC. <laughs> and, <laughs> and a ceramic forge and, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I think because um, I actually helped. So my, my, my sister and my brother-in-law were actually selling dice on Etsy for some period of time. Uh, and they actually, they made some good money doing that. Uh, but they were making them out of wood and they were doing die six and they hit me up once and they were like, you've got a CNC. Can we cut a die 20? And I said, well, let's give it a shot. So we actually did it. I, cr I built a jig that bolted to my CNC and we held a chunk of wood and we milled half of a D 20 and then we flipped it over and milled the other half. And the, 
it didn't register super well. So there was, we had to sand it afterwards, which wasn't a big ordeal or anything like that. But the problem with a D20 is it doesn't have any two faces that are parallel that you can grip. So yep. no matter what with a D20, you have to make a fixture. You, well, you, you'll get one good face and then you get one shitty face or like three shitty faces that you have to make a, a, a unique fixture that registers on those extra faces on a on a um, vice which okay not super hard but also a pain in the ass so i wonder if the solution is to build a better d20 what, with like a different one that you can machine correctly oh a, a d20 that has two parallel faces i don't think yeah. that exists like I, I mathematically i don't think that exists the, the the thing that's special about the d20 is that every face has the same geometry right correct and it all fits together. Is the D twenty is a soccer ball, right? No, no, it is not. I think no. it's because soccer ball has different shapes. Yeah, D twenty is the one that's just incredibly unique because of that. It's yeah, a bunch of triangles, right? So uh, are they tri yep. yeah, they are triangles. Yes. I go I icosahedron. 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 Or you can do what. You can buy online, and you can buy a D20 that only that doesn't have a 1, 2, or 3 on it. It has two 20s, two 19s, and two 18s. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which is why Steven always made me roll in the, in the app. <laughs> you have to, to roll, yeah. <laughs> I bought those to satisfy my curiosity, so I never, I, never, I never cheated in Dungeon Dragons. I promise. Just Star Wars. It's because we play Star Wars. Well, Star Wars. <laughs> I never cheated in Star Wars, so. Sure. I always rolled an app. It doesn't matter. I wonder if the app is biased. I guess we have to check that out. I, it was biased for your character because your character either rolled ones or twenties. Like that is true. There wasn't not a lot in between. <laughs> no, there wasn't. <laughs> All right. Oh my! Oh man, it's flash. Like oh god. Use computer use. Roll a one. Well, I guess my guy's not going to be able to know how to use a computer for this round. <laughs> my guy who's used computers for everything, including like going to the bathroom since he was a child, just <laughs> forgot where the keyboard was. Yep, just no idea. <laughs> the keyboard catches on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so next topic. Last one. This is a long podcast. Yeah. Um, GE light bulbs reset procedure. So this is taking oh, this the is internet great. by storm this week. And it involves a lot of on and off. So this is this is smart light bulbs, not your typical analog or regular LED light bulbs. And the whole thing was people were like watching this, and it's like it's ridiculous when you actually first watch it because it's like turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off, and you do that for like thirty seconds, right? But but like it's turn it on. Let it stay on for eight seconds, then turn it off, then turn it yes. on. Let it sit for four seconds or whatever. Like no, it's the same. A, like it's the same procedure. eight seconds. It's like eight seconds on, two seconds off, repeating for like five times. Of course. And people were making fun of it because of how a bad like procedure that is. The thing is, though, I think if you had the on your phone, and you had that video open, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Because you just listen to the guy say on, off. On, off, wouldn't be that big of a deal. Yeah, they clearly. I think people that just blew up, smash the light switch either. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how do, yeah, how do you, how would you implement a reset procedure that wouldn't be used in normal life that only uses a binary input? How about a damn button on the side? <laughs> well, Stop let's being say you smart. Was, yeah, yeah. So what if it was like 30 feet up in your ceiling? Uh, no, that could be a problem. Yeah. I would say you have to you have to flip it on and off techno rave to Darude Sandstorm and uh, for the first ten seconds of the song. And I was then, hoping uh, you'd go Homestar Runner on me. Oh yeah, 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 you're right. The Home- cheat is grounded. <laughs> the cheat is grounded. <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow, that's that's high school for you right there. Yeah. <laughs> what he, okay, so here's the thing. How do you know that you reset like, does it blink in a pattern? Does it tell you? I I don't know. I think basically they're resetting the Wi-Fi. So it, because how these things work is when you first turn them on, they broadcast over over their own SSID, and so you connect your your phone to that SSID. Right. Set your Wi-Fi name and password, and then it resets, connects to your home Wi-Fi. That's how they work. So you're basically you're resetting it to a state to where. It's broadcasting back on its, you know, default SSID. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how do you do that with from a light switch? Okay, so I think one way that would be uh, reasonable to do that is have it, instead of like this eight on, eight off, you know, eight seconds thing, have it where you flip it on and off quickly, like 12 times, like on, off, on, off, on, off, you know, you just hammer it a couple times oh just hammer it until it resets i'll send my 60 year old to your house and you'll see why that's a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) see exactly because i remember when i was a kid i would flip light switches like crazy yeah literally light switch so instead of 12 times make it 20 times i don't know whatever whatever's that sounds worse than just flipping it for eight seconds on and off for five times because then you're sitting there all day like you know I, I could say something that's probably not very good on this podcast, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What's a good way of Repetitive doing it? Repetitive up and down motion <laughs> for 30 seconds. Well, okay. How about you, um, just, how about you just have like a, a code that you send out from, from an app on your phone or something? Like a, like a I don't know, like a... Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you're right. But I'm, I'm going to assume basically like it, you it listens it. for a particular signal, and when it hears it, it goes into default mode. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, you could do that. I, but the thing is, what happens if you, you reset your whole but wait, house? But, but you, no, can, what if you got a new modem and you didn't know what the password was because you're using the stock WPS, you know, push button well, then, stuff? Yeah, that well, wouldn't the, work the problem, either because the, then people could like come reset your your lights from the street or whatever if they're just parked close to your house yeah well so uh, i don't there's yeah. not really a good solution to it and well, there's a reason ge's going bankrupt so <laughs> yeah they're too big to fail <laughs> um yeah i don't really know I, I think the best solution is not to have smart light bulbs <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking through that. I literally don't know what a smart light bulb does. Like, are we talking about the ones that change colors? Like, I th- they do. Yeah, okay, is that what they do? You know what? I'm I'm, I'm going to go on a tangent here. I, I I got I got a tangent that. Just hang on with me for a second. The, you know, okay, so it's a running joke. It's been there for gosh, however many decades. Like, you're a really smart person if you can set the clock on your VCR, right? Like. 
how many sitcoms have you seen where it's a, like I set the 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 clock on my VCR and you are like some kind of like god or whatnot like that's some kind of difficult thing, right? Sure. Uh, I I'm not trying to like brag or anything like that, but like it's not hard to set the clock on a VCR even if you don't know how to do it. Like you can figure it out. And, and a lot of times maybe it takes like a certain mind or maybe like they're like a way of looking at something. But if, if you approach a, a device that has a single button, one button on it, you have some options, right? You can press the button, you can hold the button, you can press the button like quickly, you can hold it and yeah. let go. Like there's only a couple things you can do. And so if you look at like a VCR or, or whatnot, uh, there's there's only a handful of buttons on them most of them have nothing to do with clocks so you ignore those because whoever designs it would have to be a psycho to make you press like fast forward in order to set the clock or whatnot so let's 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 backtrack and go to the light bulb idea you have a button you have the light switch right that's <laughs> that's all you can do you can turn it on or off so and your options are fast or slow or time right those are your options and so, it has to be something that a kid isn't just going to randomly fall into. Right. Okay. So I failed that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe, maybe, you know, maybe GE's way, even though everyone's making fun of them, maybe that's like the best way to do it. I would say the, the problem with it is that they have two different versions of it, depending on what light bulb you have of oh, firmware. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's the big problem, though, is you, and you don't even know the only way you can know what firmware you have is by the outer packaging that the light bulb came in. Who keeps packaging around for light bulbs? Yeah, why not just put a damn button on it at that point? Yeah. Like, oh, no, I, don't, like I don't know Parker what firmware said, I have. I gotta go up there and get the light bulb to pull it down and read the code off of it so I know which firmware so I can go screw it back in and switch my light three times. Wait, 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 wait. hang on. Russ. Whistle Dixie while I reset it. But you're... So you have to get the ladder to go change the light bulb? You mean like the way we used to do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well. But this reminds me a lot about um, back in the early 2000s and 90s when you had to do like reset procedures or diagnostics in cars. There was always a dance you had to do with ignition and the pedals. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the driver's door, open it and close yeah, it. Yeah, open and closing. Yeah. And, and sometimes it was the, uh, the lights and stuff. And so people are making fun of this one button that you have to turn on and off in a sequence five times to the sync of a video. Whereas back then you're reading on a form, like turn off and on a light of the key three times and pause in the on position and then back into the uh, accessory position while pumping the accelerator. And it's like, you kind of have to, like, guess the timing on that. You didn't have a video showing you how to do it. See, that's why, that's why video games got it right back in the day, because if you hit the, the secret code... Up, down, up, down, A, B, A, B, left, right, left, right, start, select. There would be a sound. after you, If you got it right, it would, it would, like, yep, there you go. Yep, yep, infinite <laughs> continues. My car has infinite continues now. <laughs> and two-player mode as well. Right. That's what the select was for. Oh, geez, we've been going for a while, haven't we? Yeah, I think we should wrap this one up. Yeah, yeah, this is this is one of the lengthy ones. Uh, all right. 
Well, that was the world's longest macrofab engineering <laughs> podcast. I was your guest, Josh Rozier. And we were your host, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and Roz and I know. Tweet us at MacFab at Longhorn Engineer or at IAnalogENG or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. And check out our Slack channel. Josh slash Roz hangs out there all the time. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen. It helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.